0: Well, tonight we are in Exodus chapter 8, and we will see God's judgment upon the God of the frogs, the God of the lice, and the God of the flies. And remember, God said this is what he's going to do. He goes, I can tell you in advance, Pharaoh's going to harden his heart, and then I'm going to harden his heart. He's going to be more stubborn than he would have been naturally uh, when I'm done with him. And uh, he, he makes it clear in Exodus twelve twelve. It's against the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the Tetragrammaton, the Yah, Yahweh. And then also in Numbers 33, 4, the same thing. Uh, And on their gods, the Lord had had, now past tense, executed judgment. So last week, we saw the first of the plagues in chapter 7. Do You guys remember that? Um, where the water turned to blood, and then the magicians saw, I can do that, and they turned more water to blood. Um, again, it's rather foolish, but it, it, Pharaoh hardened his heart when he saw that his magicians could do the same thing. Um, again, this would be the Egyptian god of Kanum, K-H-N-U-M, who was the guardian of the Nile. Also, it could have been against happy H-A-P-I, the spirit of the Nile, or it could have been Osiris, Os who is the bloodstream of the Nile. And, uh, and so there's a number of gods that were associated with the Nile. The Nile was their everything. That's how they survived and lived. So now we're going to see three more here in chapter 8. In verse 1, And the Lord spoke to Moses, Go out to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus does the Lord... Let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite all your territory with frogs. So I think the question is, you know, how long was the time? Was it a day? Was it a week? Was it a month? I think it was quite a bit of time. I think it was maybe a week or even two or three or maybe a month. I think it was a a good amount of time between this and he said, uh, you're going to have the territory with the frogs. And in verse three now, so the river shall bring forth frogs abundantly, which shall go up and come into your house, into your bedroom, and on your bed, into the houses of your servants and your people, into the ovens and into your kneading bowls. And the frogs shall come up uh, on you and on your people and all your servants. So the Egyptians, sort of like the India today, everything was a god. And they actually believed that Uh, The frog was sacred. It was sort of like um, in India today. I mean, on more than one occasion, a bus driver in India will see he's getting ready to run into a cow. And he will steer away from the cow and drive straight into the multitude of people and killing many. Because killing the cow is, is a greater sin than killing a whole bunch of people. Because cows are sacred. This is the way they looked at frogs. You would not uh, touch a frog. You would not injure a frog. These were their gods. And and uh, it's interesting that Heget was the god here. Uh, there's a couple different ways of spelling the H-E-Q-T or H-E-K-E-T. But either way, it was the body of a woman who had a head of a frog. I don't know how disgusting that is, but it does... But in their minds, this was very sensual. This was very attractive. She was the goddess of fertility and water renewal. And and what it was believed, what we just looked at happy over here, <laughs> the spirit of the Nile was her husband. And her and Hecate came together. And out of the dust, she breathed and... And created life. And uh, there's so many details into this Egyptian stuff. I've studied it. And in the Bible college setting, I go into detail. It really gets grievous. You know what I mean? When you hear about all the stuff that in India they do today to worship their very gods, it's it's pretty sad. But anyway, God is judging the frogs. Oh, you guys like frogs? Okay. I'll give you frogs. And, you know, you go home to open the door, and there's all kinds of frogs everywhere in your house and stepping on them. And I grew up in Central California. There would be times we'd walk outside, and the entire street was covered with frogs, as far as you could see. And cars would drive by and smash them, and there'd be just dead frogs everywhere the next day. But we'd go out with pails and just catch many of them. Some of those frogs were huge, some of them were tiny. We had all different types of frogs. We, we love frogs, we caught frogs. My, my little sister, we used to go down to the St. John River and outside of Visalia there, and, and right at the certain time of year when the, the river was just about ready to disappear, and there would be all the tadpoles, we'd catch tadpoles and these little tiny, tiny, tiny frogs. We would get a big bucket full of them. We would take them home and dump them out in our backyard. And we just had these little frogs all summer long. So my sister continued to do that until she died just a few years ago. She would go down to a, a little place there outside of Fresno where she lived and do that. So frogs are, are, are a lot of fun. But, it, you know, opening your bed sheets and there's 10 of them all gooey and, you know, laying in your bed and, you know, in your oven and, it, you know, it, it you're sitting down to try to go to the bathroom and they're jumping all over you. And uh, that, that would be pretty disgusting. But in essence, God's saying, you, you want your God, here's your God and bigger measure. Well, in verse five, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your rod over the streams, over the rivers, over the ponds, cause the frogs to come out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand and over the waters of Egypt. And the frogs came up, covered the land of Egypt. And the magicians did so with their enchantments and brought up frogs on the land of Egypt. So once again, you know, they can make more polluted water in, the, in chapter seven, and now they can make more of a pestilence. If, if they had real power, they would got rid of the frogs, right? Undone the curse, but they make more frogs. Now, I, I, again, it talks about in Second Thessalonians how the Antichrist will do signs and wonders to deceive the people, but he also says and do lying wonders, So when you already got frogs everywhere and then you make more frogs come out and go everywhere, did they really do anything supernatural there or was it just more of a a trick, a power? But I do think they were empowered by Satan. I do think that Satan, the demons have power um, and uh, the Bible teaches us they do. And we know these two guys are Jannies and Jambrees. We looked at that last week in 2 Timothy 3. But um, they created more of a problem and and that was sufficient for Pharaoh. These guys are twisted dudes. Well, in verse eight now, and Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, entreat the Lord that he may take away the frogs from me and from my people and I will let the people go that they may sacrifice to the Lord. So Pharaoh now has had more than enough, you know, his wives complaining, his kids complaining, they are literally Uh, being bugged to death by these frogs. It's just overwhelming. They can't live. They can't tolerate it. And and he uses a very strong word, entreat the Lord. We're going to see this. It, It literally is the word to beg, to plead, to supplicate. It's intention, please go to God and beg him on my behalf that these frogs would go. Now, a rather strange thing happens here. So Moses said to Pharaoh, Accept the honor of saying when I shall intercede for you, for your servants and your people, to destroy the frogs from you and your houses, that they may remain in the river only. And what does he say? Tomorrow. What? Oh, well, you know, I like frog. you know, one more night would be nice before they disappear. Is this guy just strange? Are he deluded? Or does he, did he have some kind of, Pleasure in all of these frogs being everywhere, and he wanted the pleasure of it one more day? Um, or was it as bad as it seemed? Or maybe he knew they would all die and he, he wouldn't have a very good night's sleep if he had to smell all these dead frogs. I, I'm not sure, but it, it is rather twisted because he, he definitely in verse eight is, is plead, help, help me, I beg you, entreat the Lord. And then he says, Yeah, tell, tell him tomorrow. But either way, Pharaoh clearly had faith and understood that God caused this and only God could end this. He didn't look to his magicians going, okay, can you end this? He knew that they didn't have real power against God's power. But he didn't ask his magicians, hey, see what you can do about stopping this. All they could do is create more of a problem. Well, the second part of verse 10, he said, let it be according to your word that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, capital L R D, the Yahweh, our God. And the frogs shall depart from you, from your house, from your servants, and from your people. They shall remain in the river only. And Moses and Aaron went out in Pharaoh. and the Moses cried out to the Lord concerning the frogs which he had brought against Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses, and the frogs died out of the houses, out of the courtyard, out of the fields. They gathered him together in heaps, and land, the land, stank. And when Pharaoh saw that there was relief, he hardened his heart and did not heed them as the Lord had said. So we're not surprised to see that. As soon as relief comes, he no longer has a passion for God's will to be done. People are often that way, huh? It's a real miracle that we're saved. You know, when you, you look at time the way God says it's going to work out, we know the rapture of the church is going to happen quickly. Then there's a seven-year tribulation period. Then there's the thousand-year millennial reign where Christ reigns on this earth. And we're in our new bodies. We rule and reign with them. And at the end of that thousand years, Satan is released. So all the people that survived the tribulation period now multiply the earth for a thousand years. Now, if you don't have diseases that can be healed, like we know, they will people will be healed. There won't be murders. God God's going to stop people before they do any crime. Um, he knows their heart, and he's going to stop it before it happens. So there's not going to be a lot of people dying off from sickness and crime and that kind of stuff we're sort of going back to numbers in genesis i mean it's very possible to have a billion or more people in that thousand years maybe several billions of people if you do the math it's uh, if you had four everybody had four kids you would have um, several billion i can't remember what it is now but either way satan's released from the pit and he he's able to come on earth and tell people who have lived with Christ for hundreds of years, up to a thousand years, with Jesus, highways are built so you can go right to Jerusalem and hear Jesus teach a Bible study, wherever you're at on the planet. And when Satan shows up and says, man, this Jesus guy is just a quench, (laughs) We we should try to overthrow him that there is a huge percentage of that population who knows the truth, knows Jesus, has lived on a wonderful planet Earth, and they side with Satan, and there's the final battle before everything melts with the fervent heat. You know what that tells me? What a miracle it is for us who only lived, maybe I got, I got totally believed in Christ at 15 for sure, I lived on the earth 15 years, and I knew I was a sinner, and I only could make it on this earth without Jesus. I needed him, and I need his word, and I've never swayed from that. The conviction of that truth is greater than it's ever been. But here, people are gonna live a thousand years, can see Jesus, listen to Jesus. Everybody that's ruling and reigning are submitted to Jesus for hundreds of years, and they still hate Jesus. That's how wicked our hearts are. That's how wicked your heart is and my heart is. So when a miracle, the greatest miracle that happens on earth, they say, is somebody to be born again. It's 100% true. Us, our stubborn, rebellious, wicked hearts, bowing the knee and say, Jesus, be my Lord, that is greater than anybody being raised from the dead or lepers being cleansed. And we know that's because the final period on earth, heaven's earth as we know it now, will be that point, how you could give men a perfect earth for a thousand years with Jesus himself, and they still will harden their hearts against God and literally side with Satan to fight against him. You guys being here tonight's a miracle, right? Being it's being born again, it's a miracle of miracles, of miracles. So we're not surprised to see him harden his heart. Well, in verse sixteen and seventeen, now, the Lord said to Moses, "Say to Aaron, stretch out your rod and strike the dust of the uh, land, so it may become lice throughout all the land of Egypt." So notice here, there's no forewarning. Now, up to this point, the other couple of He's gone and said, hey, let my people go. And if you don't, then this is gonna happen. Here, he didn't give them any warning. He didn't go out and say, let my people go or or else I'm gonna do this. He just said, go out and do it. So Aaron just went out, stretched out his rod and uh, strike the dust of the land that it may become lice throughout the land of Egypt. So they did so and Aaron stretched out his hand on the rod and struck the dust of the earth and it became lice on man and beast. And all the dust of the land became lice throughout all the land of Egypt. Now, I don't want to, you know, if you've, if you've got the Ten Commandments memorized and you see Charles and Edson and, and you see the lie, you know, I, I don't want to mess you up. But this Hebrew word, we have no idea what it is. I mean, it could equally be gnats. It could it, it'd be any kind of insect, really. So I think there were a number of insects. As a matter of fact, Egypt to this day is really known about their insects. <laughs> They've got a lot of unique insects, a lot of nasty insects. There was one guy, I was gonna actually write it in the notes and I, and I forgot, but he was, he was in Egypt and he writes his, his situation. He's there in Egypt looking at the pyramids and doing the Egyptian thing. And then he notices all the sand is moving and he looks around and he realizes, oh, it's moving around my feet. And then he he realized it wasn't sand. It was all of these little, tiny, tiny bugs that he could almost not see them individually. And then he realized they were all the way up to his knees. He was covered in them. And he tried to shake them off. He couldn't. He just says he took off running as fast as he could. And eventually they, they fell off and his legs we're just completely Satan's using your phone, Chuck. <laughs> Satan is using. Anyway, um, he ran, He had bites all over his legs, just bites everywhere. So, does it have to be lice? I think it's probably something worse than lice, but lice are pretty bad. But I, I think that the one thing we can agree on, and you can Google it. Egypt has lots of bugs, unique bugs, uh, weird bugs, um, poisonous bugs, nasty bugs, and this was this was one of them. Whatever it was, um, it was a type of of bug, and this this uh, would be the gib g e b was over the dust of the earth. I. Accidentally put in the notes a frog of the one's body. That goes with the second one up top. Sorry about that. Um, And so again, this is taking down one more. And I'll tell you what, bring the frogs. Bring the frogs back. Uh, This seems like a much nastier thing than having all those frogs. But in verse 18, Now the magicians so worked with their enchantments to bring forth lice that they could not. So these idiots try to bring more lice about. Stop the lice, guys. If you got power, stop them. But nope. They, they try to make more lice, but they can't do the lice. So we, we realize, even with all their demonic powers, they were quickly eliminated, weren't they? I mean, there was the blood turning to water. There was the frogs, number three. They can't even do that, and there's a lot more to go. And so there there were lice on man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh grew hard and he did not heed them, just as the Lord said. I think this is a very strong phrase, the finger of God. You know, later in in the book of Daniel, remember? (laughs) Literally, that wicked king sees the hand of God, writing, tickle, meaning, meaning, tickle, you far, said. Remember him writing on the wall? They saw the hand appear, and it said, you've been weighed in the balances and come up wanting. They, they, The guy literally messed his pants. He, he literally was terrified. I think of the finger of God when Jesus wrote in the sand, and, and we don't know what he wrote, but all of the Pharisees who wanted to just wanted to stone the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, it said, from the oldest to the youngest, they all left. The finger of God. They, these guys, I think, were deeply affected. But, interesting, in 2 Timothy 3, it says they were learning, but never coming to the truth. That they would have a form of power, but no real reality in that power. But again, again, Uh, Pharaoh doesn't say, oh my gosh, my magicians can't do this. We're in trouble. Nope, he hardened his heart again. Well, verse 20. And the Lord said to Moses, rise early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh as he comes out to the water. Now this has been his regular. I I think if I were Pharaoh, I would quit taking a bath in the morning and take one at noon or something. Because I mean, I couldn't imagine how annoying this would be. You know, you, you have your cup of coffee and, you know, you get your towel and you got your servants around. You. You're going to go down and take your morning dip and get your day started right. And as soon as he steps out of the palace, heading to the Nile, there's Moses. This is what's happened repeatedly. And so... The Lord said to Moses this time, rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh. This is what he did before. As he comes out of the water, this time, wait till he comes out of the water, not before he gets in there. And then he said to him, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. So it doesn't say Pharaoh was greatly irritated, but I'm sure he was. Or else, if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and on your servants and on your people and into your houses. The houses of the Egyptians shall be full of swarms of flies, also the ground on which they stand. And in that day I will set apart the land of Goshen in which my people dwell, that no swarm of flies shall be there in order that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the land and I will make a difference, that Hebrew word difference, pedoth, is actually the word redemption, interesting enough. But uh, the King James translates it division. I'm going to make a, a redemption between you and them or a division or a difference between my people and your people. Tomorrow this sign shall be. So he's back to giving Pharaoh a warning, saying, hey, here's a warning shot of the If you don't let him go, this is what's going to happen. And they heard no word, you know. Hey, Moses, Aaron, yeah, he decided to let you guys go. No, nope, No word game. And so it was already set in motion. If they didn't hear from Pharaoh, then this was going to kick in. Now, again, here in the Hebrew, it is simply the word "swarm." The word "flies" is not there. That was added by the by the translator. It literally just says in the Hebrew "swarm." A matter of fact, in um, Psalms one hundred or Psalm seventy-eight, verse forty-five. It, and also in Psalm 105, verse 31, when David there in the Psalms is describing it, he said he sent diverse sorts of flies among them, or sort, and again, the word fly is not there, just diverse sorts of, of whatever it was. So whatever the bug was, it, it could very well be. Um, flies or sand flies. Um, yes, Colin, a guy named Cole, in his commentary says this, the word occurs only here and in passages based on this context, the two Psalms I mentioned, and its exact meaning is conjectural. Fleas, sandflies, mosquitoes. He goes, I think mosquitoes are probably the best. So again, whatever they were, God said this time, they're not gonna be on the Hebrew people. Now remember back earlier, he said, one day when you leave, getting ready to leave, you go to your neighbors and ask for the gold and the silver and and so forth. So I think children of Israel were spread throughout strategically to take care within the nation, the different Egyptians, but it sounds like the bulk of them were still living in Goshen. And if they were mosquitoes, that makes sense. I I have been around outside where there's a lot of mosquitoes. Have have you ever experienced this? And like one person is bit like 300 times and the other three people aren't bit once. Have you ever noticed that? It's like, oh, you got to eat onions and they won't bite you. Or, you know, if you eat a lot of garlic, they won't bite you. Or if your blood type is A, they won't bite you. (laughs) You know, people have all kinds of theories. But uh, yeah, one time I, I don't get one bite. Then the next time I'm that guy. You know, who, getting bit only and nobody else is getting bit. So either way, it sort of makes sense. But, but God, it's supernatural. So even these little tiny bugs are obeying God. <laughs> and God just says to them, hey, leave all the Jews alone and only attack everybody who's not a Jew. So Pharaoh understands not only am I the God bringing these plagues on them and judging their various gods, but I also am making a statement of redemption, a difference, a division. Really, that's the whole book, right? Exodus, it's an exit, <laughs> exit out of bondage into God's redemption. That's what so it's a picture of, of us in the New Testament as believers. We come out of the power of darkness into the Son of His love. And so here again, it's, a, it's another God. This is probably um, Kifri, K-H-E-P-R-I. Um, again, of creation, the movement of the sun, rebirth. Um, and so he, he does make a clear difference here. Well, verse 24, and the Lord did so. And thick swarms of flies or gnats or mosquitoes, whatever they are, came to the house of Pharaoh into his servant's house and into all the land of Egypt. And the land was corrupted because of the swarms of the flies. So they literally saw them coming. And they saw them, this big giant black ball coming, and it entered into Pharaoh's house and went throughout the entire house. And when it came to a Hebrew house, nothing went around, and, not, and so their houses and their they, their animals, their barns and their animals were protected, but they just went in to those of Pharaoh in particular and his servants. And in verse 25, now, and the Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron and said, "Go sacrifice to the God of your la- of the land." And Moses said, "It's not right to do so, for we would be sacrificing the abomination of the Egyptians to the Lord our God. If we sacrifice an abomination of the Egyptians before their eyes, uh, they will not will they not stone us, and we will." go three days journey into the wilderness sacrifice to the Lord our God as He will command. So they come back to that three-day thing when when Moses or excuse me when Pharaoh suggests um, that they just do so locally. And they said, no, you you know that it's it'd be an abomination. So evidently taking these sheep or the goats or whatever the animals they were going to sacrifice that process of worshiping a God that wasn't their God and maybe the sacrificing, cutting it open and causing it to, to die and, and burn it and so forth. And the way the Egyptians looked at the world and probably everything was a God, um, that would just be something that would throw them over the edge and they would just come and stone them to death. And uh, and so Pharaoh then in verse 28 said, well, I'll let you go that you may sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness. I'll let you go out to the wilderness. Get out of town then. I, I, I agree, you can't do it here in the eyesight of the Egyptians. So go into the wilderness, but just the immediate wilderness. Only you shall not go very far away. And then he says, intercede for me. <laughs> Pray for me. Plead for me, give supplication for me, help me. Isn't that the way often it works? Maybe some of you guys went to work or went to your family reunion or went home after getting saved at a church and you said, hey, I became a Christian. And They're like, "Uh, we're happy for you. Just don't become one of those born again ones. Don't become one of those on-fire ones. You're not going to be like reading your Bible every day and going to church every week, are you? Oh, now I, I can't understand you being a Christian like, you know, your so-and-so neighbor is a Christian. You know, he, he goes five times a year. That, that, uh, you know, that, that kind of Christian I can't handle. Don't, don't, be, don't go very far into this. Don't get too radical. You know, they'll try to radicalize you and they'll try to get you to know the whole Bible and go out witnessing and who knows what they'll, you know, don't go that far. This is, this is Pharaoh. I, I, you guys can do it as long as I'm still, you're not so far away that I can't control it. And he thought in his mind, th- this is a compromise they, they'll go for. So now, okay, now we're good. Intercede for me. Let, let's stop this. We're no longer at war. And Moses said, in verse 29, Indeed, I am going out from you. I will entreat the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart tomorrow from Pharaoh, from his servants, from the people. But let Pharaoh not deal deceitfully anymore and not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Woo, Boy, Moses is getting bold here, isn't he? You're telling the king, the God, he considers himself a God, don't be deceitful with us anymore. Ooh, some fighting words. And Moses went out from Pharaoh and entreated the Lord. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. He removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants, from his people. No, not one remained. Wow. That's extreme. None died. They all flew away. There was no remnant, not even one little, tiny, tiny one of them. But Pharaoh's far hardened his heart. <laughs> At this time also, neither would he let the people go. David Guzik writes, this shows Pharaoh knew exactly who the plagues came from and how they could be stopped by humbly appealing to the Lord God. Because he wasn't going to let them go very far. He wasn't going to let them go at all, really. But nevertheless, he's like, pray for me. So he, he knew, it's like, even though I'm not giving exactly what you want, I, every time I ask for relief, every time I ask for this curse to leave, it, it, it's, it happens. Wow, I, I've got power in prayer even with God. Isn't that true? You know, the one thing I think that everybody will have in common in hell is they all prayed many, many times and God answered their prayers. I think everybody in hell had many prayers answered. In the foxhole, in the hard time. Get me out of this, God, and and uh, I'll start going to church. <laughs> Get me out of this, and I'll start reading my Bible. And then he gets them out of it, and they don't. Well, a couple of lessons here in chapter 8. Let's understand this serious problem of pride. Remember 1 John 2, 15 through 16 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and here the last and worst, the pride of life. It's not from the Father, but is in the world. You see, our Father, his nature, Jesus told us, is gentle and lowly of heart. I think when we get to heaven, we're not going to see God on the throne, giant with this big giant robe, puffy thing, and this giant crown, and, and and you know everything emanating from him. You know, I, I think we're going to walk into heaven and bump into some guy with overalls on and a broom, and and we're going. Oh, excuse me. And we'll find out that that was God. Just Jesus came. He didn't come as a king or the richest guy or the guy with the best voice or the guy with the Einstein brain. He didn't. He came. There was nothing about him that was extraordinary. Except he constantly, without fail, represented the Father. We beheld his glory. Glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of what? Grace and truth. Of his fullness, we all received grace upon grace. It wasn't his power. It wasn't his majesty. It wasn't his glory. All those things are true. What they saw in Jesus is not like, oh, this guy's so holy, I can't even get 10 feet within him. are all get struck by lightning. Jesus is so powerful. Oh, man, Jesus is so amazing. He walks on water and turns bread, (laughs) turns um, little tiny bits of bread into 5,000 people. He's amazing. No, they were never impressed with that. It was his nature that in the middle of the night, the poorest, the ugliest, the most diseased people kept coming to him, and he was so exhausted. He got into the boat, and this boat's about ready to sink. It's going, the waves, it's filling up with water, and he's sleeping. (laughs) That's, That's crazy. That's how exhausted he was from serving. And so, again, it's so opposite of the nature of God to be prideful. I put a number of scriptures, proverbs there. God hates pride and arrogance. I've, pride comes and then comes disgrace. Hum, with humility comes wisdom. So, Proverbs sixteen five. The Lord tests all the proud of heart. To be sh, be sure of this, they will not go unpunished. Pride um, sixteen eighteen of Proverbs. Pride goes before destruction and haughty spirit before the fall. We all know that. James four six and First Peter five five says God opposes the proud. Then the other thing, I think, is that there is only one true God. The Lord our God. He alone. The one God. The Lord our God who is one Lord. There is no other God. These are things that Satan's empowering man said. I'll worship the sun. And Satan appeared. Well, let me empower that. I like that. Anything but the true God. You you, you, want to be anything but a man or a woman? I'm for that. I'll empower that. I'll give power to the transition. Because When God made man and woman, it was glorious, and and it was very good. Let me take that. Anything perverted, twisted, taken away from the truth of the Bible, taken away the clear vision of God, Satan will muddy those waters all day. In Exodus, we're going to get there in chapter 20, where he says plainly, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Now, what's the main thing that I brought you out of, he's saying? Verse 3, you shall have no other gods before me. All those midred of gods you had, all of them are false. Not one of them is true. Boy, that's that's something, isn't it? Because that's what the world's saying. Not everything you Christians say is true. Not everything the Bible says is correct. We know better through science now that, that there are Men who should be women and women should be men. And, and we know that there's some people that are binary, whatever that means, and you know all this nonsense. Whatever the Bible, when it said homosexuality, it didn't mean two men that love each other, two women that love each other. That's, I know my neighbors, they love each other. My son, my grandson, they love, they're homosexual. They love, they're the best parents of the best people. I, the Bible can't be right about that. The word of God is a two-edged sword and it cuts and divides very specifically, doesn't it? Very accurately, like a scaffold. There's, There's no gray areas in God's mind. It's very clear and we need to be on God's side We shall not make for yourself a carved image or a likeness of anything in heaven above or in the earth beneath or in the waters under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them. And boy, that's what they want, isn't it? You bow down. There was a teacher this week that would not bow down saying that there is more than just a boy and a girl. A teacher said, no, I believe they're only. God made them this way. There's only men, only women. There is nothing else that, that is acceptable. And uh, they said, well, if you're not willing to write, put into writing that you, you agree differently, you're, you're, you're no longer a teacher here. And he got fired. Why? Because he would not bow down to these woke gods. Isaiah 45, verse 5 and 6. I am the Lord. There is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, and that you may know that the rising rising of the sun to its setting, there is none besides me. I am the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh. There is no other. Amen.